Hello <laughs> to all our dear listeners and welcome back to Sound Up Seattle, your one-stop shop for all things Seattle and Washington sports. Now I'm sure you're wondering, guys, you told us you'd have music ready by the next time you recorded. <laughs> and to that we say, stay patient. <laughs> Good things come to those who wait. Um, anyway, today we've got a couple things we really wanted to talk about. We're going to touch on Gonzaga basketball, the men's basketball team securing the WCC title, heading into the tournament with some momentum. We're going to talk a bit about the Kraken and their hot streak, or is it so hot? We'll have some notes. And then the other major one that I'm thinking of is the Seattle Seahawks securing Geno Smith, not letting the one that got away get away. Geno Smith securing the bag. Securing the bag. Tyler, anything I'm missing? What else are we talking about today? Um, we've got a little bit of discussion probably on the UW Ooh. loss in the Pac-12 tournament uh, today, which really has uh, presented us us all us, us UW fans with some questions about the future of the uh, coaching position for for the head coach of the UW men's basketball team. But Wazoo did end up winning today against Cal, who is atrocious. So. <laughs> it's, it's a it's a net positive, but it was not the the biggest win of all time by any means. <laughs> That's an advance, and well, yeah, we'll touch on that down the line as well. But for now, let's get into it. Let's get into it. After, Talk about after your this zags. musical intro right now. Just kidding, <laughs> zags. We're zagging. <laughs> we are zagging directly into the zags. Um, the Gonzaga Bulldogs played the St. Mary Gales in Las Vegas. For the WCC championship, they split the regular season championship thanks to Gonzaga's last win of the regular season. Um, and as a Zag, I went into this game with a lot of confidence. We have been playing really good basketball recently. And it seems like everybody that's been coming along slowly really showed up in the game the other day. Um Anton Watson played awesome. He's been awesome all year, but he did play out of his mind. Nolan Hickman, who's been up and down, had a really efficient game. Malachi Smith coming off the bench. He's the grad transfer from Chattanooga. I'm a big fan of his game. He hasn't been playing that well all year. But the last couple games, he's really stepped it up and been a really efficient offensive engine for our second unit, or our units with Timmy off the floor. I would say, yeah, him taking over in that... Not taking over, but being being a an integral part of that second unit yeah. has been good. Because I wouldn't say he scores a ton, but he's definitely just like his presence is very calming on the floor. He's kind of like a, just yes. a nice point guard to have. And he's and he's aggressive. He doesn't put up a ton of points, but he's one of our only guys that is actively trying to score his own buckets. You yeah. know? And that's a really big role to fill on a team where people like to stand around and watch Drew Timmy score. And boy, does he do it well. Speaking of Drew Timmy... I guess for one yeah, thing, let's one hold thing off. at a time. Pump the brakes on that. <laughs> Gonzaga won the game, and we didn't just win the game. St. Mary's got spanked. They got a little bit embarrassed. At one point, with two or three minutes left in the game, we were up uh, seventy-two to thirty-five, more than doubling St. Mary's score. It was it was brutal. It was a smackdown. Um, kind of hard to believe that they beat us in overtime uh, a little over a month ago. Um. But it's great for Gonzaga. That's, I think, three straight WCC titles since my senior year when I was in Las Vegas and watched them lose to the St. Mary Gales on purpose so that St. Mary's could make the WCC tournament. 
That's all Gonzaga fans all believe that. It was, a, it was a conspiracy. I'm assuming you mean Mar- the March Madness tournament, not the WCC tournament, but yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Correct, correct. But, um, um, yeah, I think it's three straight now and and maybe seven of the last eight. Obviously, the Zags still run the conference, and, and it was a fun game to watch. Yeah, no, I would say... So I didn't watch the entirety of the St. Mary's game because I could only get it in Spanish on my TV. And so, and I had a basketball game, but (laughs) (laughs) so I watched the first half um, and it really just looked like Gonzaga was in control of the game. I thought their pacing was just like St. Mary's tries to try to pace the game and they just couldn't because of the way that Gonzaga was playing defense and just kind of running their offense. So normally Um, they also got a good few fouls on uh, the St. Mary's big guy. I don't remember what his name was. Yeah, me neither. Um, but he's, you know, getting a few fouls on the starting big man of any team is going to be nice for uh, setting your own pace. Correct. Especially when your team's offensive engine is in the front court. Yeah. Um. The, so I watched the entirety of the semifinal game. And what I want to say that you haven't brought up yet was Ben Gregg had a really good game. I can't believe <laughs> I cannot believe you swooped me and stole my Ben Gregg. <laughs> That's unforgivable. This will be the last episode of Sound Off. Ben Gregg was great. He was great in the semifinal against San Francisco, which I guess we didn't talk about. They played a competitive game against San Francisco. Um, Ben Gregg was 4 of 6 from 3 in that game. He was 3 of 5 from 3, I believe, in the championship against St. Mary's, and playing phenomenal defense. Yeah. Um, That was the big note for me, was Ben Gregg, 4 of 6 from 3, had... Had 12 total points, so all of his points came from behind the arc, um, which does say something about the fact that he doesn't really have what it, what we can see as a post game at all. traditional post game. Um, so that is something to note is teams will likely maybe overplay him in March Madness if, if you know, come when they play against the teams that can start prepping for him. Um, they now, teams now know that Ben Gregg is kind of a deadly shooter, but doesn't have a lot of like drive and capabilities, at least at the moment that we can see. Yeah. Now... That may be a little easier than it sounds because he is a true big. He's 6'10", I believe. Um, And that means that, you know, unless they're putting their big men out on him, you know, if they're putting a a guard or a small forward on him, he's going to have to be in Ben Gregg's shorts to have any chance of contesting a shot. And if they're putting their traditional bigs out on him, fantastic. Opens up driving lanes for our guards. People covering Ben Gregg on the perimeter does not necessarily shut down our offense. No, I would actually say it would be it would benefit the offense a lot. Yes, but I do hear what you're saying. I also I also think it's worth noting. I think you're right. I would not guess that he has a super refined post game, but he's asked to play along either Timmy or Watson at all times. Both those guys work almost exclusively in the post with their skill sets. So I don't think uh, I don't think Mark Few's really calling plays for Ben Gregg in the post. No, and I wasn't saying he's been asked to do that at all. Yes. I was just, just a note. Yeah, I, I'm optimistic that in the coming years we will see more of that and he'll have more of an inside-outside game. I really, guys, I know anybody who follows the Zags know that this might be <laughs> too big of a comp, but I really think Ben Gregg is going to be like a Kelly Olynyk type Zag. Um, he's a better shooter by far than Kelly was as a sophomore. He doesn't quite have Kelly's size. Um, and Kelly obviously had a better post game by this point, but he's already a better shooter. If he can put on some weight and work on that interior post game, he can be the kind of offensive dynamo that Kelly Olynyk was, um, leading Gonzaga to their first ever number one seed. Um, and yeah, so 
big fan of Ben Gregg. There was a moment in the game where Greg and Anton had an awesome defensive possession where um, Anton's, uh, the guy Anton was defending was trying to set a screen for Ben Gregg's uh, offensive player. And they both jumped the screener and stole the ball. And I think Anton got fouled. And afterwards, they both jumped up and they, they dapped each other up. They were having a great time. And it was a really exciting glimpse into the front court of next year. Um, much, much higher defensive upside than the current. I think that's that's a big thing that we're seeing right now is Gonzaga's defense is actually taking a big step forward. It's with, actually good. With the exit of Drew, Drew Timmy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, in it'll, you know, it's one of those things where once Timmy's gone, the defense will improve at the front court, and then also Ben Gregg's shooting, and if Anton's working more in the post, should actually open the offense up for other players potentially a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's the defense. It's kind of crazy. Gonzaga is number one in college basketball in points per game right now. Part of that's playing in the WCC, but they're a team that's known for offense. Their defense held St. Mary's, a good offensive team. To like something 55, like, right? No, no. I think it was like 45. Like, it was 35 with not much time left. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exciting stuff. I think, I think this team is peaking at the right time. We're we're deep at guard. We're deep in the front court. Don't have as many wings as I would like, but talented team that does not get flustered. Timmy's a, a great leader and a, a hell of a calming presence on this team. Just to know he, had, by the way, Timmy was awesome. He had a hyper efficient game. I think he had eighteen and nine. Yeah. On like six it was of nine of ten from the field. Nine, you're kidding. That's nine. what I, that's what I saw on ESPN. Yeah, not very surprising. <laughs> that's what the guy when he has like yeah he'll have those games where he's like oh I'm just gonna score eighteen but only miss one shot. Like, he, he could have scored 30 tonight, but he was really playing within the offense. Yeah, the... I guess, yeah, keep talking about Drew Timmy. Keep keep leading that charge. I was going to say, I think I think now is the moment to to take a moment to talk about Drew Timmy. Um, it's his last WCC uh, game. Probably, pro- Did he cry? Did you cry? I, I should have cried. Uh, to be <laughs> honest, I wasn't really thinking about it. I was reading a really nice CBS article about it today. Um, sorry, I, I don't remember the author. I can't credit him, but, uh, Anna Luce actually sent it to me, but just drop it. <laughs> Nobody knows who that is. That's fine. Um, and it was just talking about his career at Gonzaga and how his career in the WCC is over. And it was just making me a little sad to think about everything that he's accomplished. And we've reached the point and we've talked about it on this podcast, where you might even think we were like Drew Timmy haters, where it's all about like, oh, the defense is worse when he's in. Oh, it's so fun when Ben Gregg is in and we have all this spacing and there's there's less, you know, isolation in the post. I love Drew Timmy. Drew Timmy might be my favorite Zag ever. I think the tournaments the last couple of years have made it a little tougher to be all in on Timmy, but he's such a great guy, such a great leader. And during this game, he passed some man I should know the name of, for uh, the all-time leading scorer in Gonzaga basketball history, which is a big deal. A lot of great players have come through Gonzaga. A lot of four-year players, you know. Before these recent run of recruits, we were known as being a four-year school. Um, and Timmy's just been so awesome for so many years. I had some, I saw some cool stats in the article that I'm talking about. Um, he's going to be an All-American this year. It'll be three straight all-americans for drew timmy um 
all-time leading scorer in Gonzaga basketball history. Uh, since joining the Gonzaga Bulldogs, Drew Timmy has never lost two basketball games in a row. It's kind Cra- of crazy stat. That's kind of wild. Kind of wild. Guys, over over a four-year span. Over oh, five playing, years. Five-year five span playing, what, 30 games, 35 games a season? Yeah. Never losing two games in a row. That's 175 games? Yeah, never losing two in a <laughs> row. And that's a crazy stat. I think this might be even more crazy. In games that Drew Timmy has played which I think was something like 130 games as a Bulldog. The Gonzaga Bulldogs have won 91% of those games. 91%. That's wild. And obviously that number gets a little inflated by playing in the WCC, but competition is better than it used to be. Um, Gonzaga also plays like five ranked teams in their preseason games every year. We we always have one of the toughest non-cons and obviously make the tournament every single year. We've made three or four straight Sweet 16s. Um, we'll see if we can make another one this year. But I just think that's that's an, a wild stat. 91% of the games that Timmy plays in, we win. And it's a good reminder, you know. he's He has carried a lot of the brunt of the Zags' failures in the tournament the last couple of years, going back to the Baylor game and then last year uh, losing to Arkansas. And it's a good reminder that Timmy is awesome. And he's been the foundational cornerstone of this team for three years now. At least two years. Um, and I'm going to really, really miss him while he's gone. So I'm excited to watch the tournament. Hopefully, man, if he if he wins the Natty this year, he will absolutely, undoubtedly go down as the greatest Zag of all time. Absolutely. Yeah. There will be, there will be no discussion if he leads this team to the national championship. But if he doesn't, I'm still going to love him a lot, and I'm going to miss his goofy antics when he's gone. Man, you guys aren't aren't seeing this, but John is shedding tears as he speaks. Okay, there's a lot of onions in here. <laughs> Why are there so many onions in this room, Tyler? He's just an emotional guy, you know? Uh, um, no, I think, and as weird as it is to say, I think he's going to be, he won't even be the most important guy in the tournament when it comes to Gonzaga winning. Just because in the tournament, you think about it, and typically tournaments are won by having really good guard play. Because mm. when it comes down to it, the big guys, it can kind of get you through the first couple rounds, but the best te- the teams with the best guards make it to the end of the tournament. Yep. And uh, and, th- and typically those teams are teams with great guards and great interior defense. Yes. Those are typically the hallmarks of Final Four style college basketball teams. And that... We've seen, just like against Arkansas is a great example, and so is Baylor, that makes it tough on a guy like Drew to carry a team. You yeah. Know? So it might be might be Drew's last last hurrah, and it won't necessarily he, he won't necessarily have as much value as he may have um, in other years, just because the team's going to probably rely on Julian Strother and uh, Nolan Hickman, Bolton, and just you know relying a little bit more on the the exterior guys on offense. Um, but Timmy's going to have to step it up on defense if they're going to do well in the tournament, which is going to be big. Yeah, I think it's going to be all about balancing his minutes. Yeah. Um, I think Few has been doing a really good job of balancing. You don't typically see Mark Few play significant bigs off the bench. He just He's always run such a tight rotation. Ben Gregg is getting real minutes, real substantial minutes, and we're seeing Drew Timmy play less than he has in recent years. And what it's allowing is Timmy's 
dominating the minutes he plays on offense. Nine of ten from the field. Goodness gracious, that is efficient. Um, and it's allowing our defense on average to raise its floor because we have a lot more time with Anton and Ben Gregg on the floor, which is a, a nasty interior defensive combo. Not a lot of necessarily rim protection, but really fast feet, really good Really hands. good ability to switch yeah. on screens. Great all instincts, that. all that stuff. Yeah, the... The thing that I've noted in the last few games that I've watched is uh, <clears throat> the transition to to Drew Timmy being. You see it a lot in in NBA or like high school basketball where you have a guy who's really good on offense and another guy who's really good on defense, and during stoppages in play, you just swap them anytime you can. And I feel like Fuse kind of utilizing that strategy to where he'll get Timmy in for any like huge offensive stretch, but like at the end of a half or at the end of the first half, he's kind of like letting Ben Gregg close it out because it's. You don't want Drew Timmy to get in foul trouble or anything like that, and it's kind of that prime opportunity to give him a little rest, especially if they're ahead. I'm sure if they're behind, they'll try and get him get him in for offensive possessions. But as the as the halves slow down and they get more fouls and the bonuses happen, it's uh, it's going to be really big to have Drew Timmy able to able to and comfortable with switching out for Ben Gregg frequently. Absolutely, I was just reminiscing. Uh, you were talking about how sometimes in the tournament it can be harder for guys like Timmy to carry a team. Um, and I was just thinking about, you know, in memoriam, my favorite Drew Timmy term- tournament memory. I, I saw what you were looking up on your phone, and I know what you're going to talk about, but continue. So, so, <laughs> so excited to bring it up. Some people talk about, oh, Timmy doesn't perform in the tournament. Uh, the 2021 tournament, the year we beat USC, UCLA, and then lost to Baylor in the Natty, um, we matched up with USC in the Sweet Six. No, the Elite Eight. The Elite Eight. Um, and he, all eyes were on Timmy because he was playing against this. People probably don't know him. He was a kind of a, <laughs> a small name guy out of USC at the time. I think he was a freshman. His name was uh, what was his name? Evan Mobley. Oh, Mobley, <laughs> Mobley. That's right, Evan Mobley. The current Cavs power forward he's he's playing the league he's playing in ohio i hear i don't, I don't know what's going on there but anyway uh matched up with evan mobley everyone was raving about this kid what a nba prospect he was particularly on the defensive end and timmy cooked him timmy cooked him early and often uh, it's ended up with 23 points but that doesn't necessarily show his impact he had 16 in the first half uh, Zags were up big, and the rest of the game was basically just playing. Just down. a cakewalk, yeah. Finished really efficient from the field, um, and obviously things came back and bit him against Baylor. But man, he was so great in that game against you know an NBA player that might be winning Defensive Player of the Year in a couple of years. It's a really good reminder that like Timmy's skill set is like legit, and unfortunately. He was not born with the natural athleticism necessary to play at the NBA level. But if the year was 1965, Timmy could go into the NBA and average like 25 a game. His footwork is so pristine. I don't even think they would understand what he was doing with his feet if he went to the NBA in 1965. (laughs) They'd be confused. They'd kick him out. Um, He's a hell of a player. And it's a bummer that he uh, will likely not get a shot, a real shot in the league because... Yeah, he's just not not athletic enough. He's not fast enough. He's not big enough. He's not quick enough. He's not strong enough. But boy, can he play. Boy, if, does he have finesse. If you could put his talent into 
you know, not to say Evan Mobley's not really talented, but if you could put his talent into Evan Mobley's body, Evan Mobley would already be an all-star. That's all I'm saying. That's a hot take, considering we just... The other day we watched Evan Mobley drop like a 30-10 double-double. The guy's averaging like 14 on the year. We don't have to get into this. We've talked about it a lot outside of the pod. Anyway. <laughs> any I... any final thoughts about Gonzaga before we move on? It's been about been about 20 minutes of just us raving. Yes, it's been a lot of raving. Apologies to our, our, our tired listeners. <laughs> um, no, that's it. Exciting game. Pumped for the tournament. And... Uh, thankful for for one andrew timmy um let's we're gonna rearrange the 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 way that we're the the structure of the the pod um just based on how long we just talked about that (laughs) um and just talk a little bit about uw basketball um yeah obviously we we said that they lost at the top um to colorado and actually what was a close game i think it was 74 to 68 at the end um but the first half they scored 20 points um it's not great. They scored 48 in the second half. Um, and that's kind of typical of how their offense has been. It's been really slow and stagnant. Um, but there's a lot of discussion about firing Mike Hopkins. Um, he runs... Not he does, I was going to say he runs a decent ship, but he doesn't really run a decent ship. <laughs> what you mean to say is he's a nice guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. I really love his 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 energy. He brings a lot of like focus and intensity um, on the court. But... I don't. I haven't seen the University of Washington basketball team run any sort of consistent offense. Um, they really just kind of they bring the ball down the court lackadaisically. If they get pressed, they can press break, but they don't really have anywhere to go. Um, they've got good athletes, but their athletes aren't very big. So the the two three zone that Mike Hopkins learned at Syracuse is just not run very well because it relies on having big athletes um, who can guard at a bunch of different positions and switch and. Or not really switch, but have long arms and cover the cover the floor. Um, and he has just more of a typical prototypical basketball team, um, which has just made it really tough to watch because UW has just not been good for the last few years. Ever since he lost all of Lorenzo Romar's recruits, yeah, Dybul and Crisp and Dickerson and everybody, they've been mediocre to very below average. Yeah, it talk about a frustrating transition. From Lorenzo, a guy who at least had the ability to bring in the top Seattle talent, but just didn't seem to have any idea to do with him once he got there. And I think he's doing better at, uh, where's Lorenzo at now? Pepperdine. Pepperdine, that's right. Guy's living in Malibu, living his best (laughs) life. Um, But that just, that wasn't working. So they go to Hopkins, and what does he do? He loses the top Seattle recruits, and he also doesn't know what to do with the players that he has. Um it's been a frustrating stretch for UW basketball. Seattle, Washington in general, and specifically the city of Seattle, produces high-end basketball talent. There is no doubt about that. UW used to be the place to go if you were a Seattle kid who was good enough to make D1 college. Of call course. D1 Why would it not be? It's a great school right in the middle of Seattle. It's a big school, good program. It's so crazy how all the best Seattle rec- recruits are fleeing the state. Or at least crossing over the Cascades um, to go to college, and it, you know, I'm I'm a Zag, but I was I was born and raised on the west side of the mountains, and I've always, you know, UW was the team I watched growing up. I I'm a big supporter of UW hoops, and it's really, it's been disappointing. I want the Gonzaga UW rivalry to be a good one. I want UW to be contending for the Pac-12, and 
it's been a mess. I've I do have some stats here I pulled up. I think it's a good illustration of Hopkins' time. While at U the University of Washington, Hopkins is a hundred and five and ninety-six. He's winning just over fifty percent of his games. And a lot of those came in the first two years. Yes. And that's not good. Good coaches do not win fifty percent of their games. That's it, that may sound deceivingly acceptable, and it's not, particularly for a program as big as UW. Yeah. Um, he is one and one in the NCAA tournament. One win, one loss. He's one. That means they've only made it once in his tenure. Is oh, it must be because yeah. they only have one loss. Yeah. yeah, and they won one game and then lost in the round of thirty-two. He is one and one in the NIT, and he is three and five in the Pac-12 tournament. That means. More often than not, they lose in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament under his leadership. That is unacceptable. Pac-12 basketball is not good enough for that to be an acceptable record in the Pac-12. This is not the Big 12. If you're 3-5 and five in the Big 12 tournament, <laughs> come be the head coach at <laughs> UW. Because uh, there's a little higher level of competition there. But that's just, it's just not going to work. Yeah, what you have more affection for him than I do. <laughs> what I've noticed is when he when he when they bring the ball down the court, they don't have a good system of entry to get the ball inside. And typically, their big men can't not can't, but have not shown the ability to to run a solid post game. They can run off screens and kind of do the pick and roll type type scenario, but they don't have anybody who can work the interior and dribble the ball when they get when they catch the ball on the inside. Um, they have very few guys who can actually break down a defensive player. And so they don't have a lot of guys who can go one-on-one -on -one and create a good open look. They have a lot of guys who can, you know, take a, catch a ball off a, off a handoff, dribble handoff and pull up for three. And sometimes that works. And sometimes they have good games where they're shooting 50% from three and they can win those games. But their offense is just, it's, it hasn't been good. I remember thinking, I think, a, I think a great example of this is Jamal Bay on UW, on UW who, I look at him and I feel like he has the profile of a great college basketball scorer. And I don't know if it's Hopkins' coaching or his kind of attitude and play style, but he doesn't know how to take over a game. And that's not to call him out. It might be because of the system that he's in. But I have not once really seen Jamal Bay try and take over a game in terms of his scoring potential because he has a great three-point shot. He has the ability to drive as long as he has can you know can work in the within the confines. But typically the spacing's off. Uh, um, when they're in the half court offense, and it just doesn't doesn't look good. I, I want to do a little test, and this is the perfect time to do a test live on the air. Yeah, um, <laughs> because I I have thoughts about what UW should be doing. Um, what do you think of when you think of a prototypical University of Washington big, a power forward or center who plays for the University of Washington? What are the attributes that come to your mind? My my immediate gut reaction yes. is, I think of like Noah Dickerson, who's kind of like a Drew Timmy light. I don't know if you guys remember, but this is you know when I was at UW, Noah Dickerson was the guy who was our power forward who could score. He scored, I think he probably scored fourteen, fifteen a game, and was just like consistently getting that. And now we get that from Keon Brooks, who's our small forward, um, and just like. But in terms of the prototypical big, it's somebody with footwork and somebody who can work down low. Um, and is okay passing off the ball to like a cutting guard down the middle. That's great. I think you failed. Maybe I failed. 
when I think of the prototypical UW big man, you think of like John Brockman. <laughs> well, I, I'm not. I'm not even picturing a name. I'm picturing a type. I'm picturing a six nine to six eleven, lengthy, big, with some meat on his bones, who is faster than he looks, who is athletic and a little unrefined. Typically, is what I feel like I've seen out of them. I think Isaiah Stewart is a great example, and obviously he mm. was on the high end. But I feel like they've produced so many big wings or, you know, power forward center types that are, they're not guys you want to post up. What they are, are they're, they're good defensively, scrappy, fast. And so I, would you agree with that? Am I completely off base saying something like that? I don't think you're off base. I think the thing about Isaiah Stewart is he did have that ability <clears throat> to run the pick and roll and he could kind of, he was athletic enough. And I think the thing is, with with Hopkins there, he was a great baseline for that two three zone. Yes. But this I'm thinking of Dickerson when he was before Hopkins came in, mm-hmm. when Romar was the coach and Dickerson was able to just you know, we spread it out four wide and Dickerson could move down low and just had really good footwork, kind of like what Gonzaga does with Drew Timmy. Certainly. Um Stewart was great. He was only there for a year and so when I think of prototypical it's like what is, what is my recollection? I think of Noah Dickerson, I think of Aziz Njai, who you have no idea who that is, I'm sure. Yeah, actually, I recognize the name. Yeah, <laughs> but don't ask me to pick him out of the lineup. Um, but he he was he was kind of that big, bulky. He didn't have any offensive game, but he could be there. He he was great at blocking shots and playing defense. But that's kind of the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of thinking of that describes kind of an Oregon type center, mm. where they're just Oregon's just a super athletic team. That's fair, but I guess I was even thinking maybe these guys didn't necessarily play power forward, but like. Matisse Thibel and and the Jaden McDaniels. Yeah, yeah Jaden. But you're thinking of like a small forward type player. Were, were they like. both threes? I would have thought yeah. they would have played four at UW. But yeah. Anyway, though, I feel like a lot of those kind of guys. And you know way more about UW basketball than I do. But my thought is, I I have watched enough UW basketball to know what you're talking about in the half court. It's not very pretty. I feel like they just need to buckle down on the defensive end, sell out on the idea of having a lot of these lengthy wings that might not be super refined offensively, but are dogs on defense. Work on your man. Work on a zone. Just work on a zone, bro. And be a team that wins games in transition. Be fast. That's that's what, see, God, that's what everybody's been wanting from their team. Is like they Hopkins knows how to run 2-3 zone, but they don't have the, either, either the players don't the have the offensive capability yeah. or they just don't do it, but they don't run the floor. And that's like the one thing that you would think that a team in a 2-3 zone would do is use that energy that they reserve on defense to yes. just run and go. Get out and and they can't do it for it, some reason. It's because all of the shots that the other team make or shoots go in. Yeah. And so they can't run a transition offense. Yeah, if you're not good at defense, you can't run a transition offense. But a transition offense is the most efficient offense in college basketball. Because guess what? College players, not typically the most refined offensively. Get them on the fast break. Let them get some momentum going to the basket. And then you can really, if you can establish yourself, it's kind of like what Baylor did. Obviously, they were a three-point shooting monstrosity as well, <laughs> which is why they were damn good. But the way that they just stacked on defense and then just got out in transition and then stacked again on defense and got out in transition, really, really deadly way to play college basketball. And I think that should be at least the goal. But we're speculating a lot. I think we both think Hopkins needs to leave. If you could bring in any head coach to turn this program around 
I want I want something completely out of the realm of possibility that's completely ridiculous, and I want something that's a little more grounded. Do do I want Pete Carroll? <laughs> <laughs> Frank Sinatra rises from the grave. Uh, yeah, if as could... the defensive connoisseur that he is, along with the intensity that that he brings. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think of a good team. I'm, I'm totally dropping this on you. You've had zero time to prep. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a good defensive team, who is who gets out in transition and runs also. Bring Bayheim out to the west. Are you talking about the Syracuse coach? Yeah, <laughs> that that Hopkins learned from. Oh, you're kidding? Did yeah, he, he played. Yeah, he was Syracuse? a Syri- he was a Syracuse assistant. No coach. wonder he runs zone. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Um, he's not very good. Yeah. Uh, Bayheim actually just announced he's not coming back to Syracuse, which is an interesting note. Oh, mm. oh, a little availability, yeah. Just bring make make UW Syracuse West. Yeah. <laughs> um, one last note before, because I don't really want to answer this question. I have no idea who the coaches are. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> UW needs a small left-handed point guard. That's when they were good. They had Isaiah Thomas. They had David Crisp. They need one more. I'm just saying, I'm small and left-handed. <laughs> you think you could run it? I give me in, coach. <laughs> All you, right. You've seen me work in the post. <laughs> we are going to take a quick break. Um, following following this next little ad break, we are going to talk about the Kraken and their recent win streak. And then we'll get a little bit into the Geno signing. And uh, that'll probably be it for the day since we've already spent 35 minutes talking about college basketball. Be back soon. This episode is brought to you by the Mike Hopkins Laundromat. We don't just wash clothes. We fold them, too. And we here at the Mike Hopkins Laundromat are experts in folding. We'll fold things in a way you didn't even know they could be folded before. (laughs) And we promise you, just when you think it couldn't be folded any more than it already has been, we will fold it one more time. As a side note, this this can be part of the ad, but if you fold a piece of paper 42 times, it'll fold to the moon. (laughs) Welcome back to Sound Up Seattle. We hope you enjoyed that riveting ad and nice fun fact at the end there remember i you know ex-head coaches need employment too so. <laughs> um you know we yeah we wanted to switch things up and talk about UW basketball to put kind of a shorter segment after that long gonzaga segment luckily we only talked about it for 15 minutes so. <laughs> really padding our runtime yeah this might be a nice long 65 minute episode buckle in folks um so next up we are going to talk about the kraken and our reverse jinx on them, which totally was our plan all along. Which is why we're going to continue to reverse jinx them. <laughs> now is not the time to get high on the Kraken. We've seen that happen before. Yes. So break it down. What's happened since last we talked? So since we last talked, I think they had just beat the Blues, and that was their first win in a series of five straight wins. Mm. Um, They have beat, they beat the Blues, the Red Wings, the Blue Jackets, the Avalanche, and then the Ducks this, today. Um, Now, that's great. Five story wins is always great. The team with the best record over that stretch was the Avalanche, who have basically the same record as us. They're 34, 21, and 6. But other than that, I think their best win was against the Red Wings, who are just barely over 500. So this stretch has been more about taking care of business than it has been about necessarily beating the top end teams. Obviously, still great. Five straight is, is good in any sport regardless of your opponent but uh i'm trying to stay pessimistic you know i'm trying to <laughs> trying to stay a bitter old man while you glow with positive 
what energy. I, what I will say is, so currently they are two points back of the number one seed in the Western Conference. They're two or, points. Sorry, Pacific Division. Oh, but, okay. Um, let me let me look. Actually, we've got. No, they're two points back in the Western Conference from first. That's wild. So they're they're at eighty points, and the Las Vegas Knights are at uh, eighty-two. We will play the Golden Knights twice more before the regular season ends. Potentially big games for. Man, I didn't realize we were that close. Yeah. I guess it must have been a tough tough stretch for some of the top teams in the West while we've been winning. But okay, that's the optimistic side. Two points back, we've won five straight. There's. Let, let's just say that there's a big test coming around the corner. Maybe it will be a springboard for what might be a really awesome season, or maybe it will be the equivalent of turning the corner and running right into a wall. <laughs> um, like I said, we've been playing pretty mediocre teams over this five-game stretch. Over our next six games, we play the Dallas Stars three times. Three times in six games. Dallas is, I believe, the number one team in the Eastern Conference? Uh, in the Central Division of the Western Conference. Oh. Oh, they're in the West as well. Yeah, but they're in the other other division. They're in the other division in the West. Okay. And what what's their record? Do you have that on hand? So they are 34-17-13. and 13. They that have is better than us. I, not really? They have a lot more ties. Yeah, I, but we have three more wins. We have three more wins, but... Hmm. Think about it this way. So think about it this way. Total points, which is what is the actual value. It's kind of like soccer. It's the value that gets you into the playoffs. The Kraken have one less point than the Dallas Stars. Goodness gracious. I don't understand hockey as well as I need to. Okay, so ties aren't as valued as much as wins. Yeah. Is that the idea? Because so, they have a lot in, in less of, losses. Yeah, in terms of points, losses get you zero, ties get you one, and wins get you three. And mm. so if you have three more wins than them, and they nine have more points, even if they have six more or less losses or whatever. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe I'm over exact. At the very least, it will be a very good barometer of like, are you actually as good as your record says you are? Exactly. For the Kraken, um, maybe not quite as intimidating as as I made it well, sound. Well, it's still intimidating because if the if the Stars beat us three times in a row, they shoot up to eleven points better than us. We need to stay with them. Yes. Otherwise, we're just going to get surpassed. That's a very good point. Um, yeah, one thing to note is the... So, currently, the Kraken are in third place in the Pacific Division of the Western Conference. Um, the fourth place team has two less, the Edmonton Oilers, I believe. Um, and then... Two less points. Two less points, yeah. So, we're at 80, they're at 78. The difference between Edmonton and the number one spot is, again, four. So, but the difference between Edmonton and the number five spot is seven points. So, the oh, difference wow. in the top four is smaller than the difference between the four and five. It's a top four for sure. Yes. Okay, well, that's that's good to know. Um, and remind me and our beautiful listeners, in the Western Conference, three divisions, the top team in each division plus two wild cards, correct? There's two divisions, the top three teams in each division, and two wild cards. Goodness gracious. Okay. You need to write this down. <laughs> two divisions. So in the Western Conference, there's a Pacific and a Central, is that it? Yes, that is what it is. Okay, and Dallas is number one in the Central. Yes, Dallas is tied with Minnesota at 81. And, our, and the Pacific top two both have 82. Okay, all right. So Pacific looks a little stronger than the Central, and we're in the top four in the Pacific. Okay, so we're, we are still in very good shape mm-hmm. to make. That is following five straight wins, so. That is true, that is true. Anyway, mm-hmm. a very a very interesting stretch 
for the Kraken so far. Encouraging to see that they've been winning. Um, and obviously, a very big stretch coming up. I'm getting a little excited again. I need to... <laughs> I need you to, need to calm it down. I need to bury it deep down. Listen, inside. listen to this. Listen to this. So the top, the top five teams in the Western Conference have eighty-two points, eighty-two points, eighty-one points, eighty-one points, and eighty points. Mm. The top team in the Eastern Conference. Oh, don't say it. Has a hundred and three. Who? I kids. That's Boston. Who's that's number Boston. two? Number two has ninety-two. That's Carolina. That's still a lot better than us. Boston. Carolina... Boston is forty-nine, eight, and five. I don't want to play Boston. <laughs> Pass. Luckily, we would only have to play him in the Stanley Cup Finals. So I mean, That is true. Uh, the Carolina Hurricane, is that right? I think so, yeah. Okay. We're still we're, we're still learning, people. The the other note is Toronto is has 86 points. So, the team that we lost the teams that we lost to before this win streak were the number 1 team in the East and the number 4 team in the East. And the East is much more top-heavy than I think the West is. The West is much more balanced. Um like we've said a million times, kind of like the NBA. Yeah. Okay, so now I just want to talk a little bit about the stretch. What, what Tyler, a test for you. What were our main big-picture concerns with the Kraken following the loss to the Bruins and the Maple Leafs? Well, that would be defense and offense, John. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> defense and offense. We had no issues with special teams. <laughs> their, their kicker is phenomenal. No issue with special teams. Um, that is correct. And actually, the answer I was looking for, believe it or not. Um, okay, I, a little a little test for you again. Without looking, what would you guess they have averaged in points per game over this five-game win streak? How many goals per game do you think they're averaging? Probably three and a half to four. Okay, three and a half to four. Yeah, we were looking at... The average is something like three point four, I, I believe. The average for a for a regular team is three point one two or whatever. Three point one two. We were allowing three point four eight. Correct. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Over this stretch, we are averaging four point four goals per game. We scored five five four three five. Um, that's very encouraging. Offense has really been kicking it into gear. Yeah. If we can be putting up those kind of goal totals, the win streak will continue. Defense has been solid. We were averaging, what would it be, 2, 4, 6, 10, 13 over 5. A little under, a little under a little 3 goals a game. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's really a pretty dramatic swing. Obviously small sample size, but a pretty dramatic swing from the previous slate of 6 games. Part of that may be opponents, but still very encouraging to see our two concerns of defense and offense addressed so directly. <laughs> they were really listening. They're like, those guys at Sound Up have a good point. We need to score more and get scored on less. I'm glad they were listening to us. Now, I must admit with some shame that other than watching uh, highlights of the game last night, um, I haven't watched any of the games. So I can't speak directly to is it their goalkeepers who have been playing significantly better? Is their defense getting things under control? Is their offense controlling the puck and not necessarily letting the other team get a lot of shots off? I don't, I don't necessarily know the answer to those questions. I, we will have to watch at least one or two of the Stars games and come back with some more uh, solid, digestible information about the Kraken's play. Yeah, what I would say is they were, uh, they were playing well against bad teams. And what I will say is I think 
they have 18 games left, and I think of those 18 games, seven of them are against teams with as good or better records than them, or mm-hmm. in terms of points. Um, and so if you really think about it, if they're winning the games that they should win, they should at least go 11-7 and seven over the remainder of the season. And that will be enough to get them into the playoff. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. Yeah. You know, two kinds of teams beat bad teams. Good teams and teams that aren't really good but kind of good. <laughs> Which one is the Kraken? A great philosophy, John. <laughs> As you guys can tell, I've done my research. Um, that was kind of a joke, but also kind of not a joke, you know? I feel like the Washington Wizards are like the penultimate basketball example of a team that always beats bad teams, but never beats good teams. Um, and we don't want to be the Washington Wizards. It's kind of like the Seahawks last year also. Seahawks last year, another great example. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I have much more to say. We'll have we'll have more to bring you guys on that after what will be a very exciting week or two of hockey. Um, but five straight is good. Yeah, five straight is good. Hey, go Squids. Go Squids. I, I'm so... It feels so good when they're doing good. Yeah, I'm just so <laughs> excited that they listen to us, you know? I, I wasn't Even sure... Even though they suck. Yeah. We're still reverse jinxing uh, them. They're, they're so, so bad. bad. <laughs> sell sell your stock in the squids man um so bad but i am so glad that they listened yes it's sometimes when you're an amateur podcaster you you don't really think you can make a difference and it's encouraging when you can really turn a season around the way that you and i did so good for us yeah good for them but really good for us yeah it really is we're we're here to just help you yeah help us help you by listening help (laughs) us help you jerry Maguire. (laughs) Um, the last big thing that we wanted to talk about today, uh, was the recent signing of a certain quarterback by the Seahawks. Oh, was it, uh, was it the guy out of Vegas? No. Uh, <laughs> shoot. I was like, for a second, we were looking at each other. I was like, who the frick are you talking <laughs> I was about? trying to remember Derek Carr's name. <laughs> Just the guy out of Vegas. We didn't sign Derek was like, Carr. Was there, was there a college QB that came out of nowhere? That's funny. Um, no, that was a joke, people. No, so yeah, Gino got a nice, I believe it's three-year extension. Three years, $102.5 million, and that's almost definitely wrong, but that's the number that's in my brain. I, th- I think I saw three years, 105, with something like 40, low 40s guaranteed. Yes. Um, I don't want to say a number right off the bat when I haven't looked at it in the last two days. Um, but yeah, a big signing by the Seahawks in terms of solidifying their future for the next few seasons. Um Gino's making $35 million a year AAV, and a lot of people were saying that might be too much, but that's just kind of what the uh, what it costs for a standard quarterback right now. Derek Carr went for $37.5 million a year for four years. Daniel Jones went $40 million a year for four years. The Seahawks kind of got a bargain. Daniel Jones threw one more passing touchdown than Russell Wilson last year, yeah. and Russell Wilson was garbage, so... The thought that Gino could run the offense would be uh, for the next few years is going to be pretty good, and he deserves it. Yeah, I, th- I think you are making a great point. Looking at what other quarterbacks got, would you rather have Derek Carr than Gino Smith? No. No, 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 no. That guy makes bad decisions in big moments. He has stalled offensive drives every other drive. Gino is so much more of a game manager in all the best ways in his ability to 
I, I, I don't, this, there's, this is almost definitely not true, but I feel like Geno Smith leads the NFL in like the fewest three and outs, you know, mm. I, they don't score every time, but I feel like he's just always getting the offense into rhythm. Um, and what, and what did we say? What did we say? We said, sign Geno, but for the love of God, sign him to a three-year deal. Yep. It's exactly what we said. They listen to us. We have a, we're having a great day, John. It's, we have, we have <laughs> five followers and their GMs for the five major sports in Seattle. This is incredible. Um, Schneider, you're welcome. Um, if he's still the GM of the Hawks. Uh, I think he is. Um, I think him and Pete are talking a lot about these decisions about whether Pete should be going to the Huskies or uh, staying with the Hawks. <laughs> the Huskies basketball. <laughs> That'd be hysterical. Um, yeah, so they did a great job there. And another really underrated part of this, a part of it that I absolutely love, really, really, really good GM work. I'm surprised more people don't do this, and it's total win-win. It's a three-year, $105 million contract. You nailed the number. I just looked it up. Um but 52 of the 105 million come in year one. That means over the next two years, he will be making $53 million total over the last two years, or you know, $27.5 million a year, um, and 52 in the first year. That is so smart. Great for Gino, more money up front, more protection in case something bad happens to him injury wise. But for the Hawks, what they're saying is, this next year is probably not the year. We're putting a lot of our salary cap into our quarterback, certainly more than a quarterback of his quality should be making over a one-year span. He'll be making $50 million a year. That's I think that's about what Patrick Mahomes makes on a year-to-year basis. Yeah. Obviously, he's not that level of player. But they're front-ending his contract such that in those next two years, as they're building and developing this team, he is going to be a very, very affordable quarterback. Yeah, he's not going to be eating up a ton of the salary cap. And it's it's brilliant. Why doesn't everybody who signs a talented young quarterback do that? Well, because Geno Smith isn't. Wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call him a talented young quarterback. He's thirty-two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just, I, I, I just think that's so brilliant because yeah, basically, it'll allow them to a certain degree. I mean, they'll, they hopefully they'll still be good and compete this next year, but I don't think they'll be playing for a Super Bowl. It's a great decision to punt some of the salary cap to front end this contract to bring back your guy, and in the next couple of years have a real shot to build around. As I'm sure you'd agree, there is no bigger asset in professional football than an affordable quarterback. Yeah, who's who's playing well? We call we call that the Joe Burrow type. The Joe Burrow <laughs> type for now. Get Burrow God. the bag. Burrow's gonna make so much money come whenever his rookie contract's up. Um, no, that's a that's a great note. Um, the one thing that I would say in addition to that is, uh, if $52 million is going into his first year, I think you're also betting that his first year, like first year of the three is, uh, is a a better year because you, and the other thing to think about is you don't give younger quarterbacks this much money early because they haven't proven themselves. Dino Smith has proven himself year in and year out that he's this kind of quarterback. He can run the offense maturity um, leadership all the stuff yeah we haven't seen anything bad coming out about geno smith nothing <laughs> which is something you could not say about a lot of other <laughs> people you, in sports at the moment certainly couldn't say it about russell Goodness <laughs> gracious. every other week with that guy um but yeah geno's a really really good guy really good leader and it'll be great to have him on there for the next three years and kind of leading the, the charge um as the seahawks kind of progress into this next stage of their their uh 
their, their development. Their evolution. Yeah. Um, I think we both agree that this was the right thing to do. Are you, are you pleased? I'm pleased. I'm pleased. I'm, I want them to make more moves. Um, and I think there's been some discussion about, there, you know, some like kind of like hinting by Seahawks players and front office members and in Seahawks Twitter, which again, you're not in, um, that they're trying to bring back somebody who was a linebacker potentially, um, who got released by another team. And I'm not sure who they're referring to. It might be Bobby Wagner. It might be Frank Clark. I don't, um, I don't think either of those would be moves that would actually affect the quality of football on the field. No, but it would be a great sense of like leadership for the team for sure, the next year. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, the defense could certainly use some veteran leadership. I'm I think, all for that. I think the draft is going to be big. Oh, this this leads into the draft as well. I was going to say, that that's the whole reason. I think we're both pleased. I think it was the right thing to do. Yeah. It would very strongly imply that the Seahawks will not be using the number five pick in the upcoming NFL draft to try and get a quarterback. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it really what it is is they're probably going to take either an offensive lineman because their wide receivers and running back are pretty established with Kenneth Walker the third and uh, DK and Tyler Lockett at least for now. Yes. And um, they, Rashad Penny still on contract. Rashad Penny. Yep. Um. But it does open up the door for a defensive lineman or mm. just better defensive players overall, um, or an offensive lineman, and that's exactly what we were talking about when we had our first podcast. Goodness gracious, man! Do we? <laughs> we're, we're only wrong about the things that we say that we're definitely going to be right about. Yeah. Everything else, we're one hundred percent right about. Yeah, everything we discuss and talk out is great until yes. we try and make a bold claim like the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl. They should have won that Super Bowl. They got <laughs> they, they got robbed. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, I. this is more of just a general philosophy that I have about offensive linemen. It's super important to draft offensive linemen. We see it time and again. Having a strong, huge reason, maybe the number one reason the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Burrow had, uh, Burrow, Mahomes had great protection all through the playoffs, through the entirety of the playoffs. Didn't get sacked once in the Super Bowl. Didn't get sacked once in the AFC Championship game. He had great protection. And obviously all the investment they put in their offensive line really paid off. Um, but I do not like using high first round picks on them. I think the only exception to that rule is, and I know as a Colts fan, I'm going to sound a little biased, but like a Quentin Nelson type where it's like, oh, this guy is like descended from actual giants. (laughs) Yeah. We would like to have him on the offensive line, like a true no brainer like that. Otherwise, I just think you'd be better off trading the number five pick for the number 13 and the number 46 and taking two offensive linemen, you know? No, um, I, I'm in full agreement. I think my, my discussion about that was like the fact that we know what they're going to be focusing on in the draft. We don't necessarily like, they'll probably draft a defensive player with the number five pick. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what I was going to say is what you do want to go number five overall is, is a stud defensive player. If you know, have a guy that you're sure about, you know, guys like Jalen Carter, there's a young defensive end out of LSU. I can't remember his name. Not off the top of my head either. Yeah, he's a monster. But because, well, yeah, you see the guys like, you know, the Watts, TJ's been a monster. And, um, and Donald. Donald and uh, the Bosas, both Bosas, all really high draft picks that really paid off. Edge rushers, man. If you can get top tier edge rush. For whatever reason, I feel like edge rushers really project from college to the pros. All those guys, what do they have in common? They're all amazing. And we all knew they were going to be amazing coming yeah. in. No, yep. I, I can't remember the last edge rusher that really, like, busted. I feel like 
maybe like Jadavion Clowney is like the closest, and he is like a really he talented great. player. Yeah, he just he's not like an Aaron Donald, which some people thought he would be. Mm. One thing that I just thought of is uh, they will be getting Jamal Adams back, hopefully, and hopefully that'll <laughs> improve their uh, their edge rushing ability. Not that. Uh, not that I think he's very good, and I don't think it's obvious that you think he's very good either. But uh, Jamal Adams, yeah, he uh, he's he's you know he was decent when he was with the Jets, and uh, that guy's gonna be owning a laundromat in a couple of years. <laughs> gonna be helping Mike Hopkins fold his laundry. <laughs> a couple of Seattle legends, those two. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully he'll help their edge rushing. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really love the way that he plays safety, supposedly he plays safety. But, yeah, uh, let's try something else, I guess. <laughs> Want to put him at quarterback? Let's see if he can earn his money somehow. Um, Any any more notes before we before we kind of close out here? Um, Not, not, but I guess. Any I, brand you want to promote? Any brand? You know, you got a book coming out or anything like that? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big bubbly fizzy water guy. I had a nice bubbly fizzy water at dinner tonight. <laughs> And uh, it was delicious, so I hope they give me money to keep Bub- telling them. Bubbly Fizzy Water. <laughs> bubbly Fizzy Water. That's definitely not their actual name. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that's it. Um, yeah, a lot of big moves for the Hawks. We're excited for the draft. Excited for the tournament. Excited for the MLB season to start. Yeah, a, a look ahead. Our current plan for next week, which we can kind of give you... Uh, we've talked a little bit about it. A teaser? Ooh. A little teaser? Did we prepare? <laughs> Uh, we are going to try and just break down kind of what we think about the, the upcoming March Madness tournament. Who do we think has the ability to win? Mm. Um, who do we think could be could be not upsets, but things that were like teams that we're expecting from kind of what are they mid majors? That's what they're called. Sure, the mid major conferences. Who are the um, contenders? Yeah, who are the who contenders? Pretenders. God, who are the Extenders. Ah, that, was, that was words. great. You did. You did really good. Who are the Who chicken, are the chicken tenders? tenders? Hey. <laughs> Anyways, if you enjoyed this podcast Ooh. and that kind of humor, please feel free to follow us on uh, Spotify. Look at that. Look at that transition. That'll be a good one. <laughs> um, feel free to follow us on Spotify uh, at Sound Up Seattle. We can also be found on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. We have not posted anything on tiktok or instagram we probably should start doing that once we get artwork it's gonna all come together it's i'm sure <laughs> once that domino falls into place it's like a puzzle piece of line. the stars aligning to allow for a descending from heaven that's right um if you want to reach john or me you probably won't be able to reach john but if you want to reach me tyler cartwright you can i can be found at uh tycart 50 that's t-y-c-a-r-t five zero at uh at gmail uh on twitter on Instagram, anywhere you think to look, except for Venmo, it's uh, Tycart50. If you want to Venmo me some money, feel free. <laughs> um, we don't get paid enough to do this. That's so. right. And Tyler, Tyler's making it sound more dramatic than he is. I, I am absolutely reachable. I've got a P.O. box in Nome, Alaska. <laughs> um, just hitch up your sled dogs and, and drop my mail directly there, and I'll be sure to get back to you. <laughs> Once the sun crests over the horizon in April. If you really want to talk to just John and don't want to find his Alaskan email box, shoot us an email at Sound Up Seattle and just say, in in the in the subject, say, this is for John only. Okay, then he'll forward it to me. Yeah. And we can talk shit about Tyler. Yeah. And I will start a correspondence. <laughs> I support it as long as John gets people to talk to him. <laughs>
the only way I engage with fans. <laughs> Anyways, we hope you have a great week. This should be coming out Thursday morning. Have a good weekend, and uh, go Squids. Go Squids.